0: This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the ZMAR Podcast. Uh, I am the host, Butch ZMAR. Today, we're going to walk through time and the history of health insurance. And then we'll bring it to modern day and some tips for some employers going into the open enrollment But there's a lot of history that comes involved with the health insurance, and it's just a high-level overview. If I were to call it a 50,000-foot overview, that would be more realistic than getting into the weeds. Maybe in the future, we'll get in the weeds, especially on the Affordable Care Act, assuming that it's still there. Even though there's possibilities that it could change, regardless of who's in the next administration, we'll get in the weeds when things develop. But today, I want to walk you through—we're going to go back in time— Back in 1929, a businessman by the name of Justin Ford actually created the concept of Blue Cross Insurance. Blue Cross was originally designed to cover hospitals, and Blue Shield eventually, over time, it didn't come right away. Blue Shield was for the outpatient services, such as doctor visits and uh, minimum testing. But when he first implemented the program, he was out selling it to teachers for $6 a year to cover up to 21 days in the hospital. And so where it has evolved with the Blue Cross brand is um, today it's an association. It's not an insurance company. It's a big McDonald's is what I compare it to. They just pay franchise fees and then each state has their own insurance company. Moving into 1932, President Roosevelt was trying to tie in universal health care to the Social Security bill, but politically he knew it was not going to work. And so he backed off. So up until that point, the primary payer for medical expenses was the individual and then as time went on employers started paying for it as an incentive to work for certain companies. Companies were actually writing checks for health care uh, especially if they were hospitalized. Most doctor visits were done as house calls and people paid cash for it and obviously we fast forward today we sit in uh, waiting rooms with sick people and a lot of uh, employees across America have to take the whole day off because they don't know how long they're going to be waiting at a doctor's office and then you have to show up in the room of Uh, wait for the doctor to show up and it could be two, three hours by the time you actually get a resolution for that visit. So we've come a long way. But moving forward in 1942, after World War II, there was a wage freeze put in by the federal government. And so it was harder for employers to compete for employees to actually, with talent, to actually come work for them. So in 1943, the government passed one of the biggest corporate tax breaks in America that still exists today, and that's uh, the ability to provide a group-sponsored health insurance plan through an employer, and then there's a tax deduction for the employer to do that. So it's, it's an incentive, but then they were paying for the health insurance premiums because it was more affordable, and it allowed them to compete for better talent for their companies. If we move and just fast-forward uh, the tape a little bit from uh, between 1950 and the 80s, this is where expansion of coverage and competition came into place. More popular coverage came into place of vision and dental as time went on. And then we moved into the 80s with the HMO era. But before we got there in 1965, because the employer was the the place to get health insurance in America, retirees that were paying private insurance, the premiums kept increasing due to the healthcare costs going up and inflation all at the same time. And so they proposed Medicare and Medicaid. And Medicare is the federal level, and Medicaid is the state level. And so there's a big difference between the two on how they get access the funds and how they administer care. In 1971, Senator Ed Kennedy proposed the single-payer option, which is a lot of, of what people want today and other countries have. But Nixon had his own plan, and then all of a sudden the Watergate came into play and wiped out the whole thing, derailed the whole thing. A lot of the Affordable Care Act today was actually originated in in the Nixon plan, a healthcare plan that never got fully implemented. So it's interesting how things evolve. But we're talking about a 30-year-old program by the time it was signed into law. In the 1980s, we moved to the HMO era because insurance companies were trying to control the cost of healthcare, and the only way they could do it is by isolating what's covered. And so they created a concept where they make payments to a provider group. And it's a monthly installment, and they had to see all the patients within inside of those payments. So that's where a lot of the negativity comes from HMOs, where you're restricted to a certain network or provider group. And then you may have to wait to get access to care. And that's where the 1990 boom of PPOs came into play to give people more flexibility with the managed care, allow less referrals or, or eliminate them in most cases. And then allow a bigger network so they can go down the street or move to a different hospital system if they so choose. In my opinion, this is where a lot of demand started to occur. And they wanted certain things. I always say uh, single-payer systems in America wouldn't work because we have have too much of what we call greed. We want access to things. We want it now. And I'm not trying to discount that. I'm just saying it's the reality. And so people started utilizing healthcare at a much higher rate than ever before and which caused premiums to go up because somebody's got to pay the bill. And for years, the employer was paying for it. And then as time went on in the late uh, 90s into the 2000s, a lot more of that cost was being passed onto the employee through their payroll checks. And this is for most of America. There were a lot of employers that were still taking care of their employees. And even to this day, even some small employers are still taking care of majority of the healthcare premiums. But that is... Few and far between these days as the cost increased we didn't care what things were costing because there was a bigger purse always paying the bill so we just kept moving along and using healthcare and then eventually when costs started getting passed on to us that's where all the complaints started coming in and they wanted to have more relief and the problem is is that the healthcare system isn't designed to provide a menu board or a a schedule of benefits and costs as if you were to go take your car to the mechanic and say how much is going to cost for oil change, brake jobs, or other things that you might need on your car, we don't have access to that information. In fact, the last time you called up a provider and asked them the cost, my guess is after two or three people, they still didn't have any idea what the cost was going to be. This is a true problem in America, and I, I believe it's more of the root of the problem than anything else. We don't know the cost of something, and nobody could find it. And then there's all these variables that go into play, and we don't know what the true cost is until finally we get the explanation of benefits and the actual bill from the provider. And by this time, it's too late. The provider already rendered the services. To go back and ask for a discount could be difficult. insider tip here on claims management with higher deductibles these days whether it's through an employer plan or if you purchase it on your own a lot of those claims could actually be personally negotiated a lot of people are going through hardship especially now with employment statuses and the unemployment being high but all you have to do is ask for a discount or ask for ways to manage that claim If they're a bigger provider, most likely they'll give you some element of discount or a payment structure with no interest. So that's good news for a lot of people. Some of the smaller practices cannot, but they're usually willing to make some type of payment plan, especially if you've been a customer or patient of theirs for a while. But the biggest thing is definitely trying to uh, just ask for the discount. You never know where it's going to go. Many times they'll give even up up to two years on payment plans, depending on what those costs are actually going to be don't be afraid to ask. Just pick up the phone and because not everybody is going to be able to afford a six or $7,000 or $8,000 max out of pocket these days. Uh, so uh, I would encourage everybody just to ask for it and see what's available. They're not going to make it known that they have prompt payment discounts and other ways that they could manage that bill. If we move past the 1990s into the 2000s, in 2010, uh, one of the biggest overhauls in healthcare passed called the Affordable Care Act. It was actually a more of, in, in a lot of ways, a tax law versus health care law. Needless to say, it's called the Affordable Care Act. And that could be debatable on the name, but it is the law of the land. There's no health plan from the government. There's no third-party insurance company out there that's funded by the government. There are tax dollars at play, but there's also increase of taxes. They were originally proposed as penalties. They were switched to taxes in the Supreme Court. It's still debated now since the tax is actually narrowed down to zero for the individual mandate, but the employer mandate's still there and still exists, and the affordability penalty or tax is still there for employers too. But it definitely increased the number of taxes, more accountability through the IRS. The flip side is that some of the people are getting more affordable health insurance, but it, it worked for some, but not all. And that'll be a whole nother podcast because there's so much pass-through costs and tricks of the trade on the Affordable Care Act that a lot of people will know, and that'll be another podcast for sure. All right, moving forward to 2020, which is the current year, we're all being faced with this coronavirus across the the globe, uh, including the United States. There's a lot of things that we don't know yet. There's uh, pending impact of claims that we could still have 12 to 24 months to really know what is involved, and if there's second third and fourth waves depending on what really ends up developing because of the uncertainty but there was a lot of non-essential coverages that are normally covered that were postponed and so a lot of feedback i've heard and it's not written anywhere in stone but the claim ratios are down even though the coronavirus is there there was some passing in washington about having additional coverage related to the coronavirus uh, and medical expenses, but then insurance companies also stepped up to the plate and then zeroed your cost sharing, which is deductibles and copays related to anything related to coronavirus or COVID uh, testing, hospitalizations, or, or, or whatnot that's directly impacted. This was important to a lot of people, reduce their financial stress and worry in case they actually did get it, The good news is more and more people are surviving, and I'm not trying to move this into a political debate. I'm just saying that there is health care coverage there. People are surviving, and they're making it affordable for those people. But with self-funded plans, on the last podcast, we went an overview on evaluations of health plans for employers for small to mid-sized businesses. Self-funded plans could actually start making adjustments now, just in case there's an impact. The good news with self-funded programs is you could access the claim data. Just from a high-level overview, you don't know who's making claims and what specifically they're for, but you get some claim analysis. and With that, you can make adjustments on what is needed to help um, delay the impact of any increases that potentially may go forward. The positive thing on the self-funded is even if you overcharge some of it, there's a portion that could be rebated back to the employer department redistribute back into benefits or the renewal and reduce the premiums it gets a little bit more detailed than that but there's flexibility in case you do overpay the program um and and where it goes The fully insured, though, that's the individual exchange plans, the small group community rate, and a lot of large, mid-sized and large companies uh, still are on fully insured programs. This is what most most would call traditional health insurance through their uh, main carriers. You're at the mercy of them. They hide all the claim costs. They hide all the profits, and those profits are definitely hidden. You have no idea why they're charging it. They just give a generic explanation that... Healthcare costs are going up in your area, so we have to factor in not only past expenses, but potentially future trends. And so you're at the mercy of them, whatever they dictate for that year. If they're wrong, they'll go ahead and make adjustments in the following year for either up or down, but we're at the mercy of them, and a lot of things are hidden on that. But there's other things you could possibly do going forward. This is more so for employers that provide a benefit to their employees, and the first thing that I, I would recommend putting in place uh, or make sure the employees are, are uh, know about it is called telemedicine or teledoc services. Many of the health insurance plans already include this where they have a third-party company in most cases. Otherwise, it could be hired and owned by the insurance company where employees have access to call a toll-free number, schedule a doctor's appointment, either with a qualified professional uh, in the medical industry or uh, an actual doctor to review any symptoms or problems you may have. This has even gone to video conferencing, especially in today's world, but they were doing video conferencing before this pandemic where everybody jumped on video conference calls. Even local hospital systems were adapting to the system years before this ever occurred, but this gives employees access to a healthcare program that they don't have to leave their house or employment they could schedule appointment based on their own time and the convenience of their office or home depending on where they're comfortable and make that call or video conference to make steps forward in the right direction for their healthcare. the next thing is to make employees aware of any mental health programs or implement any new ones and the reason i bring this up is the pandemic has definitely put people in a state of mind and, and it could be scared or uh, anxiety or just stress in general there's a lot of um, parents that are homeschooling or doing e-learning in in the house while they're trying to do their own job and it it could be very frustrating so uh, provide outlets or make sure the employees know there's outlets to get access to help Um, it could be just therapy or other programs that are in place but make sure they're available and they're aware of it The next uh, would be is just virtual wellness programs. This could be competitions in the workplace to some degree, like you would if you're in the office place. Uh, It could be other uh, virtual wellness programs that are available to all employers and their employees. Just make sure that you implement something and then make it known to the employees. The communication to the employees is key. Another one is virtual team building programs. This help brings up their spirits and keep the bonding sessions going while people are working remote these days. And then while we're working remote, uh, employers should just remain flexible in schedule, focus more on outcomes versus how often or how little they're actually sitting in a seat. Recently, we did another video cast through Chicago Line Chats, and we did an interview with HR Boost, and we talked about this intensely, and I would refer you to that, and it'll talk about some of the ways to manage as an employee and an employer. And so that's... A little history of healthcare as it developed over a period of time again this is a high level overview this is not detailed and and, and messing with the weeds we will dive into some of these sections at a later date but i, I wanted to at least get you to a point where You know how we got to where we're at today, and then you have your own personal stories. And of course, there's always horror stories, and that's what pushed even the Affordable Care Act or even Social Security, Medicare. There's a lot that's going on at a high level, and the more you know, the better you'll be off.